Hello, friends. Welcome and thanks for listening to the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, we closed out our series called I Am. And this week, as we celebrate the risen Christ, we recognize that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Pastor Jen Zerby takes us through the powerful and emotional story in John chapter 11, where Jesus calls Lazarus out of his grave. So what is it you need Jesus to bring from death to life today and this Easter season? Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace. I just never get sick of this. I love Easter so much. I've been uh, in ministry for 20 years and and every year I wonder, like, is this going to be the year that I'm just like, I'm kind of over it. I've been doing this. I never get sick of it. I never get sick of Easter. It's my favorite day of the whole entire year. We're so grateful and so glad that you are here to join us this morning. What a celebration. Uh, So when I was growing up, I had a favorite relative. I don't know if you're allowed to say that out loud, um, but none of my relatives are here, I don't think. So if they're listening online. Uh, my, My great aunt Jane was my favorite relative. She was the best. Both sides of my family are from Philadelphia, and my Aunt Jane lived just outside of Philly in Reading. From the time I was maybe, I think, 11 years old until I went away to college, I used to fly out to Reading every summer by myself to spend two weeks with my great Aunt Jane. She would plan the best adventures for us, and I absolutely loved being with her. Now, I am certain that over the years, I purchased a million souvenirs and trinkets during all of the time that I visited her. But most of the time, I ended up throwing those things out eventually, because as it turns out, the things that an 11 or 12 or 13-year-old purchase are typically not things that anybody but an 11 or 12 or 13-year-old want to keep. When I was away at college, all the way in British Columbia, my aunt in Philadelphia passed away. And I was so heartbroken. And so when I got home from school, I I wanted to go through all of my stuff to find the things that I had purchased during my different stays with her because I was looking for something that reminded me of her. And after all the years and all of that money that I spent on stuff, the only thing that I could find was a coffee mug that said Philadelphia on the side. And that mug was one of my favorite things. I have moved seven times since my Aunt Jane passed away, and I still have that mug in my cabinet. The problem is, it broke. And I was so upset, like I was stupid level of upset over a mug. And so I glued it back together. And then it broke again. And so I glued it back together. And then it broke again. And so I glued it back together and decided I should probably stop using this mug but I didn't want to get rid of it. And so to this day, it is sitting in my cabinet where all the rest of my coffee mugs live, taking up space where something functional should probably be. Now, look, I realize that there's space in the world for for heartfelt sentimentality, and it's, it's sweet to want to remember the people that we loved and lost. There is nothing inherently wrong with wanting to keep something that reminds you of a person or a place or an experience. But this Easter morning, I can't help but wonder how much energy we waste 
with our attention focused on the thing that was while missing out on the thing that is to come. I can't help but wonder how many broken things, how many broken mugs I allow to take up space in my own life, never making room for anything new. For those of you who are new with us this morning, throughout the past six weeks here at Hillcrest, we've been going through a series called I Am, where we've been looking at what's known as Jesus's I Am statements. These were things that Jesus said that helped us understand who he is and who he is to us. And this morning, we're going to look at our final I am statement. But you don't need to have been here for any of the rest of them, so don't worry. I trust that you can still gain something from this one. And and while you might be expecting us this morning to talk about the story of Jesus' resurrection, we're actually going to be looking at a different resurrection story this morning, or perhaps a, a resuscitation story. It comes to us from the book of John. You're welcome to follow along. There's Bibles in front of you. The words will be up on the screen. Or if you just want to listen, you're welcome to do that as well. We're going to start at John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So we know that Jesus loves all of humanity, but these relationships were were different. He was human, and he had very human relationships. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus were close to him. They They were real, true friends to him, and he loved them. So when Jesus got the news about Lazarus, he told his disciples that this sickness was not going to end in death. But then they stayed where they were for a couple more days before going to where Lazarus was. When they got there, there were a whole lot of other people who who were there specifically to comfort Mary and Martha over the loss of their brother. They were just surrounded by people grieving with them and for them. And then Martha heard that Jesus was there and she went out to meet him. Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So this is a really huge moment where Jesus identifies himself in a way that Jesus has never identified himself before. In the the face of his dear friend who is grieving the loss of someone they both love, Jesus tells her that he is the resurrection and the life. But what does he mean? Well, Martha goes back into the house to get her sister Mary, and Mary rushes out to see Jesus, and all of the people who are with them rush out with her, maybe assuming that she was going back to the tomb 
to mourn there. And just like her sister, when Mary saw Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And look what it says in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And I want you just for a second to imagine that scene. Mary and a whole slew of people come rushing out to Jesus, and Mary is weeping. And she's surrounded by all these other people who are weeping. And Jesus' response, at least to me, seems a little confusing at first. It says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, which seems like a little bit of a strange thing to say. What, what does that really even mean? Well, there are two different Greek phrases that are used here. The first phrase denotes that Jesus was angry. And the second phrase denotes that Jesus was agitated. So Mary is weeping. All these people around her are weeping and Jesus is angry. Jesus is agitated. Why? Is he mad at them for grieving? Absolutely not. Is he mad at himself for not getting to Lazarus sooner, like Mary and Martha begged? No. Jesus is angered and agitated by death. He's angry that these people have to experience this. He's angry because death shatters the lives of the living. It wreaks havoc. It causes chaos. It breaks our hearts. And that angered and agitated Jesus to see the wake that grief leaves behind. My dear friend Lisa, Pastor Bill's wife, says that death is the enemy of God and Jesus will not have any of it. Death is the enemy of God. Jesus is angered by the suffering of his friends. And all of humanity has to endure that suffering because of death. And he's angry. Psalm 115 or 116.15 says, The Lord's loved ones are precious to him. It grieves him when they die. It grieves God when someone dies. Not for that person, but for all the people who loved that person. Because death is not the way that things were supposed to go. God is for life, not death. Look at what happens next, starting in verse 34. Jesus says, where have you laid him? Meaning Lazarus. Where have you laid Lazarus? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's the easiest verse in the whole entire Bible to memorize. So if nothing else, you can leave here and say that you memorized the whole Bible verse today. It's a really powerful verse, short as it might be. And I know that may seem a little confusing given what we just read because, well, Jesus knows what's going to happen, right? And spoiler alert, if you don't know the rest of this story, Lazarus rises from the dead in a few more chapters. I hope I didn't ruin that for you. But if Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to live, and verse 38 shows us that, that Jesus hasn't even gotten to the tomb yet, then why is Jesus weeping? He's not weeping over Lazarus. He's weeping for essentially the same reason that he was angry. He loves his people and his heart is broken with them and for them. In Romans, Paul calls us to celebrate with those who celebrate and to weep with those who weep. Why does he call us to do that? 
because that is how well we are supposed to love each other. That what brings you joy should bring me joy. And what causes you to weep should cause me to weep for you. That's what it did for Jesus. He's angry that death causes this grief. And he's heartbroken that death causes this sorrow. Because we were not created for death. Look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So obviously, Jesus being, or Lazarus being raised to life here is, is the pretty important part of the story, and we're going to get back to that in just a minute. But I want to talk for just a second about verse 39. Verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Now, if I were a betting person, I bet you did not come to church with the expectation that you were going to hear about the smell of a tomb where a body has been for four days. In fact, if I were to guess, I would guess that if you had to choose from all of the verses that I have said so far, that that would be the single verse that you would ask for me to skip over. And so naturally, I'm going to exclusively focus on that one. <laughs> so obviously, these days, we thankfully have people who, who care for our loved ones when they've passed away. We also have this embalming process now that keeps us from having to experience what they had to experience in Jesus' day. They didn't have the ability, obviously, to prevent a body from decaying when somebody passed away. And so they didn't have the ability to prevent the stench that would come along with that. So that's what Martha is trying to warn Jesus about here. Like, uh, Jesus, I don't think you really want that stone moved away. It's not, it's not going to be a good situation. That smell is going to be pretty pervasive. Because dead things decay. That's just what they do. And here's the thing. I know that's really gross to talk about on Easter morning. But there's something worth talking about here. Because I think a lot of us have things that we keep tucked away. And we roll a stone in front of it so nobody else can see it. And then we stand guard so that nobody else can get to it. And the longer we keep it there, the more it decays. And the more it decays, the more pervasive it becomes. But we just keep guarding that stone that guards the thing that we don't want anybody to see. Maybe for some of us, that thing is a secret that we're carrying. It's the person outside of your marriage that you've gotten really close to or what you're looking at online when nobody's around. It's the addiction that you have convinced yourself that you can handle all by yourself or the debt that you're hiding behind this seemingly well-to-do life. Maybe for some of us, it's stuff from our past that we just can't let go of. 
It's the family that we destroyed, or the shame that eats us alive, or the anxiety that controls us, or that failure that we can't get over, or that regret that we can't shake. We lock these things away, and the longer they stay in the dark, the more they decay, and the more they decay, the more pervasive they become. And like that silly, busted-up mug, the more of those things we have in our lives, the more space they take up, and the more space they take up, the less space we have for things that are actually helpful and life-giving. If we're busy guarding the secret of our addiction, then we have no energy or space to work on our recovery. If we're busy guarding our failure or our shame, we have no energy or space for new opportunities or healing. Author Alicia Britt Cole writes that guarding tombs is a joyless job, as anyone who has ever sought to keep the past from the future will attest. Guarding tombs is a joyless job. It's an exhausting job. It's a fruitless job. And ultimately, it's a job that will steal your life while you are focused on death. And we are not made for death. Go back to John chapter 11 with me. Look at verse 41. So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe what you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Why do we keep celebrating Easter year after year after year? Because we keep choosing death when we were made for life. One of the translations of this Lazarus text says, unwrap him and let him loose. We keep suffocating ourselves with the grave clothes that Jesus, where Jesus is trying to set us loose, to set us free. We keep celebrating Easter because so many of us have these things within us that are decaying and taking over our souls and we keep wasting our time guarding them. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of Jesus' resurrection. And in Matthew's account, it says that there were men guarding Jesus' tomb when there was a violent earthquake and an angel rolled back the stone. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there when that happened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here he is risen, just as he said. Now, I read you that Chloe, or Cole quote earlier, the one that said guarding tombs is a joyless job. Well, the rest of that quote says, is shame standing over any dead things in your life? Jesus died to forgive you. Follow his example and forgive yourself. Refrain from guarding that tomb. Let an earthquake or an angel roll the stone away so there is nothing there anymore. It is empty. Jesus conquered it. Jesus removed it. All there is now is light and hope. 
That's why we spend time together on Good Friday. Because so many of us are quick to want to jump to Easter. Sunday's more fun. We'd rather participate in the day that is lighthearted and joyful and celebratory and exciting. Good Friday is dark and heavy. It's difficult and painful. And we live in a world where despite all of the pain in our culture, all of the pain that we endure, our culture constantly tells us to numb it or to ignore it altogether. So many of us don't just have a tomb with a stone in front of it. If we were really honest and we rolled that stone back, we have like a whole entire apartment complex back there (laughs) where we've been hiding away all of the hurt that we have and all of the hurt that we have caused. We compartmentalize it and we store it even though it serves no purpose but to take up space and stink up our house. But we do that work on Good Friday, the work of facing what is dead within us so that come Sunday, we can find life in exactly those spaces where we thought there was no hope. In Acts 2.24, It says of Jesus, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. But here's the thing. It is not impossible for death to keep its hold on us. And some of you know that because death has had a hold on you for a long time. You feel trapped or scared or hopeless. And look, I want to be real clear. I say this often. I'm not here to sell you on religion this morning, or ever, really. You're perfectly free to continue to live life any way that you want to. Build your tomb as high and wide as you want to with as many rooms as you want to keep guarding. I'm not here to manipulate you, and I'm not here to guilt trip you into or out of anything I'm genuinely here this morning to let you know that there is an invitation extended to you to choose a different way. I want to let you know or to remind you that there is nothing, nothing that you have hidden behind that tomb that is beyond God's ability to bring it back to life or to bring life to it. Nothing. That there is no part of your being that is beyond God's ability to bring life. And so this Easter message this morning is for those of you who are tired. It's for those of you who are tired of guarding the tomb. If you're exhausted by keeping watch over all your secrets, all of the dead things in your life, then you have come to the right place this morning. And I don't mean Hillcrest Covenant Church or any church for that matter. You've come to the right place because you've come to Easter. Some of you need a savior who is angry with you over the things that are dead in your life. Some of you need a savior who weeps with you over the dead things in your life. Some of you need a savior who brings hope into the dead things in your life. And I am simply here this morning to tell you that that is exactly what we have in Jesus. Death is the enemy of God, and Jesus wants nothing to do with it. So, instead of participating in death, Jesus defeated it. 
And he defeated death so that we would not have to keep living in it. Friends, I know that this life can be hard, but it's the only one we get. And every minute we spend focused on what was is another minute that our attention isn't on what might be. And so this morning, come out, Lazarus, or Mike, or Emily, or Paul, or Sarah, or whatever your name is, come out, because death has been defeated. Take off the grave clothes and be set free. Let's pray together. God, I never get sick of of celebrating this day because this world is hard. There's so many things that distract us and so many things that bring us down and so many things that cause us harm, that cause us pain. And so we keep choosing death. We keep choosing to hide these things away. We keep choosing to keep secrets. We keep choosing to focus our attention on what used to be. And so I get so excited every year celebrating Easter because every year we need Easter. Every year, Lord, we need this reminder, not just every year, every day. We need this reminder, God, that you have defeated death. And because you defeated death, we don't have to live in it anymore. And so this morning, I pray that you would give us the courage to face those things, to acknowledge the things in our life that we have stored away in the dark that we would have the courage to face the things that we have been so tirelessly guarding and that we would admit to you this morning, Lord, that we are tired. We don't want to guard it anymore. And so would you speak your words of life over us this morning? Speak our name. Remind us, Jesus, that we are not beyond your grace, we are not beyond your forgiveness, and we are not beyond your new life. We claim your promise this morning. Death has been defeated. Help us to walk out of the tomb with you. In the risen name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.